Single parenting isn't easy. We understand. Most parents don't plan to go it alone, but you can still make the most of this journey for your children and yourself. In fact, if you and your family are on that journey, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Single Parent Advocate community and to our podcast. And here are your hosts, single parent founder, Stacey Poitras, broadcast journalist, single dad and friend, Daryl Moody. Hello once again to you, wherever you are. I am Daryl Moody joining you again from Orlando, Florida. This is the Single Parent Advocate Podcast. I want to thank you all for joining us uh, again for this week. Uh, Stacy is there at the beautiful Single Parent Advocate Studios uh, in the greater Dallas area. Uh, again, we want to extend a special thank you to the folks at VentureX Louisville, the realm at Castle Hills. And we've got a very special guest with us today. We'll get into that in a minute. But Stacy, first of all, uh, bring us up to speed. You know, it was a pretty heavy it was a pretty heavy episode of uh, Single Parent Advocate podcast two weeks ago when we talked about Mother's Day and the passing of my mother. But uh, we're, you know, uh, doing something. Typically what we do at the show is we kind of alternate. We'll talk about our own experiences and then we'll alternate with a guest with the following episode. We have a guest for you this week. But before we get into all of that, Kim Minch and all of her exciting stuff, uh, why don't you bring us up to speed on what you have been working on there with Single Parent Advocate? Oh, I'm so pumped. We're going to take single dads to the ball game. We're having a field day on June 18th, and we've got a few people sponsoring single dads and their kids to go see the Frisco Rough Riders and eat ballpark food, which is so good for us, right? You know, we had Toy Penny telling us about all the good food we need to be eating. <laughs> so how many deep fried items do they offer there at the, the Frisco games? I have no idea. I'll have to report back, but it's going to be good and i'm sure it's going to involve baseball hot dogs peanuts uh you know well, we've talked ice about cream before i love minor league baseball but uh as far as the actual event how many single dads and families do you have registered and how many are you expecting Oh, gosh, you know, we are turning it into a family night out. So single dads and their kids are going to be sponsored, but all parents and volunteers and donors are going to be there on site. And so it's just going to be a big summer celebration for all of us to get together and and have a night out at the ballpark. So um, I'm sure the numbers will be more around 40 or 50 altogether. Um, We're really excited about it. It's one of the first times that we've uh, not done a picnic, but if you... Think about uh, the middle of June in Texas, especially here in North Texas. That's when it starts getting hot. And so uh, we decided to bring it to the ballpark where there's a lot more creature comforts. And uh, we're really appreciative of the Frisco Rough Riders for having us out. And it's going to be a ball. Huh? Get it? A ball. So is, is the mascot is the mascot like Teddy Roosevelt? No, 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 no. He didn't look like Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt was a rough rider. Yes. Oh, uh, uh, that's piece of trivia. I don't know. You always show off you your sporting podcast, knowledge. Uh, is there anything else coming up besides the the dad's night out? Anything else you want to tease? You know. Well, you know, school just got out. School just got out, and so that means we start working on getting them back into school. And so I've been partnering with the Gateway Church this year, and they're going to be having all the single parents and the kids out to uh, their campus at Gateway Dallas, and we're going to have a big uh, back-to-school bazaar. It's going to be amazing, full of 
hope and stuff for the kids to get back in school. I know nobody wants to be talking about that right now. Everybody just got out. But truthfully, uh, you know, the minute school gets out, we go party with our single dads and then we bring in uh, the hard work of uh, doing about 300, 400 backpacks. Uh, we are going to be boosting the size of the outreach this year. It's going to be about 2,400 backpacks that we're going to be giving out. So uh, where in the past uh, we would, uh, you know, just take our families that we reach out to in North Texas and Oklahoma and, um, you know, go on site and reach out to them. We did that a couple of years with Gateway, and now they want to just make it bigger. And so we're going to be um, working with them, working through those details, um, and it's going to be amazing. I cannot wait to create a video of what we do and show everybody. But we're looking for volunteers to be on our back-to-school committee. Right after back-to-school, we'll have a North Texas Giving Day drive where Everybody goes online and uh, gives money to help sponsor families for the fall and then uh, straight into Thanksgiving, where we will be uh, giving out food, and then it's time for Christmas. Can you believe it? Uh, no, it's not time for Christmas. It's Maybe time to plan. Calendar, we've got six <laughs> months in my, in my world. So, so if somebody's listening and they want to volunteer and help you guys, can they give information at singleparentadvocate.org where you yeah. can register and that sort of thing? Yeah, just uh, go to singleparentadvocate.org, click on the volunteer tab, and if you fill that out, it'll send me an email, and I'll reach out to to you and put you straight to work because we need all the help we can get. Fantastic. And, and just one more time, what's the date for the, for the dad's night out or the family night out at the uh, Frisco Rough Riders game? June 18th. June Invitations 18th. have gone out to everybody that we know so far, but if anybody wants to join us, then they certainly can. Fantastic. I love getting the updates. You guys work very hard and you impact a lot of families there in the, in the greater Dallas Fort Worth area. They are lucky to have you. So let's get to our guest this week. Her name is Kim Minch. She is a certified conscious parenting coach through the Jai Institute for Parenting. She's also an author. She's got a book, Becoming Me While Raising You, A Mother's Journey to Herself. Kim, thank you so much for joining us on the Single Parent Advocate Podcast. I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, with all of our guests, we always start off with what is your single parenting journey? Tell us yours. Awesome. Well, Daryl and Stacy, I'm super excited to be here with you today to share my story and to talk about what I had the work I do with parents. So I had a very traditional, I would call it normal upbringing in the Midwest. Um, and I have two younger brothers and my parents were married. But my life changed fairly significantly at the age of 18 when I was a freshman in college when I became pregnant with my first son. And that uh, experience caused my parents, in part, to be very unhappy. They were very, really thought that I had, you know, kind of messed up my whole life. And they asked me if, if I would leave home. Well, actually, they told me more than asked me. <laughs> but the point was that um, they really wanted me to give my son up for adoption. And I just didn't want to do that. So bottom line, I left home navigated the welfare system, and I was in a relationship with my son's father. It ended up really being an abusive relationship. So we were together for the first three years of his life, but by year two, I knew I had to get myself out of the relationship. So it took me a year because he very much was, um, oh, 
kind of stalking and and really kind of emotionally abusive. And what made it difficult was that, of course, we had to still co-parent our son. So shortly thereafter, I actually, my, my husband and I were good friends. Our families were good friends growing up, and we ended up starting to date and we are have been married for um, 30 years just recently but when I was single parenting for those years it was I think I, th- I feel like it was very very stressful in terms of I was working full-time in an office as a secretary and trying to balance you know paying the bills and um, being present to my son and then also actually like I said co-parenting with the with my son's father, who was difficult for me to deal with. So that was, you know, and that went on until my son was 18 years old. You know, I mean, we had to co-parent, married or not, sometimes even bringing that, you know, other person into the mix makes things even more challenging. And it was at times. So I ended up getting married and my husband and I have four kids together. So at this point, um, my kids are... 17, 19, 24, 28, and that son I had at 18 is going to be 35 this summer. Wow. And what brought me, I know I'm kind of high leveling this, and you're going to probably come back at me with some questions, but what brought me into the work that I do as a parent coach, and I often work with blended families and, and single parents, is in May of 2008, that son was 20 years old and he fell into an addiction to alcohol and it was walking with him through his addiction and into recovery that brought me to looking at the way that I had been parented and the way that I was parenting and understanding that we have to evolve the way we raise kids now and wanting to look at kind of the dominant parenting paradigm. So for generations, we've kind of had this parenting where the parent is up here and the child is here. And really, especially during the teen and young adult years, we need to move into a with our kids situation, parenting with them rather than over them. And that's what's happening is as our kids go through their adolescent years and we try to continue to parent over them, often from love that stems, or it stems from love, but a lot of it can be fear-based um, and wanting to control and protect our kids. But the older they get, the more we have to kind of sit back and allow them to sometimes make some choices that we wouldn't want them to in order for them to grow up to learn resilience and grit. So I kind of went off track there a little bit, but that's on track. What are you talking about, girl? (laughs) Well, I was going to say that seems kind of counterintuitive to, to, you know, the way we think of parenting. Is that, is that a new school of thought and, and explain to me how you, how you arrived at that, that place. Okay. Well, it's so there's, there's a lot, right? Cause I've been studying this, like I said, my parenting wake up call, which became my personal awakening was in May of 2008 when my son called me because he needed help. He had lost the last three days of his life to an alcohol binge. It wasn't the first time and he was asking for help, which didn't mean 
that we all of a sudden, you know, the worst was yet to come, put it that way. It just was an eye-opening situation for me. So not only did I have to figure out how to parent a child, and I, know, I knew nothing about addiction, but parent him through that as a 20-year-old, I also, again, it caused me to begin looking at kind of the way my parents had handled my pregnancy at 18 and how they chose to parent me through that. I'll say that loosely. And how I wanted to handle my son's major challenge at about the same age that I was when I had him. So I just, I kind of looked at my parents were like, it's either this or you're out of the house because they really felt like I wasn't ready to be a parent. And when my son was 20 and in this really dark place, I didn't want to give him the ultimatum. I wanted to come alongside of him because that's what I would have needed. So I really started to look at what did I need that I wasn't getting growing up and what do I want for the relationship with my children. And I truly believe that our children want to be seen and heard for who they are and not who we want or need them to be, which does not mean we come along and be their friend and give them everything they want. It does mean that we validate and acknowledge who they are and where we can allow them to make choices in their lives, except when it comes to, like I definitely stepped in when my son was addicted to alcohol. Like if they're in a self-harm situation, you have to step in as a parent and do what you can to help protect them, but not enable the behavior. That's huge. I mean, I really, I don't talk about it a whole lot, but, you know, my son and I really, when he turned 17, we hit a hard, hard road. And um, I was trying, like you said, trying to protect him by setting the rules. And I, you know, I did. I said either this or you need to leave. And um, he left. And it turned me inside out. I fell apart. And I just, you know, he, he luckily was not in a self-harm situation, but he was in a situation where he was making some choices that I really couldn't align with. And, um, you know, out of privacy for him, I won't go into that. But I will say it took us about three years to finally reconnect and to get into this place where we can talk we we talk and text regularly and uh everything but um i mean we kind of had to have an intervention <laughs> it was um i i mean i i, I know i just giggled but it, it really isn't a laughing matter i mean i really have to say you know hearing all of uh what i've heard from you on tiktok and what I've heard you speak today here, and of course, times when we've spoken in the past, I really wish I had had somebody who could have gotten through to me. Because I think as a parent whose child is 17, 16, you know, getting into the 18 and 20 year old years, you're, you're holding on, or I was holding on, I'll speak for me, to protect him from the world. <laughs> I didn't want him to get into the wrong part of the world. And um, it just... It didn't work out that way. Well, and that's very natural, right? We want to protect our kids. My, you know, I, I will tell you in transparency. So I have four sons and a daughter and my daughter is the closer that she gets to age 18, 
the closer she gets to the age that I had my first son and the fact that she has a boyfriend and all the things, this is triggering me in a way that, of course, my sons, when they turned 18, never triggered me, even if they had girlfriends. The point is we have to be very aware of, as parents of what our triggers are and look beneath that to really um, you know, question ourselves. My daughter is not me. And I often have to say that to myself. I, I often have to say, she's not me. She's not me. Don't project onto her your anxiety because of the choices that you made. It also reminds me to be aware and have conversations with her that my parents never had with me. And that's not to blame my parents. I think I'm just really, really aware of having uncomfortable conversations with my kids around dating and drinking and whatnot because I work with parents and there are so many challenges for families out there today. Oh yeah, and triggers with teens. I remember, and Daryl, I know that your your daughters are beautiful and they're a little bit younger, but I remember as my son, you know, he was handsome, still is. If you're out there, Chris, you're handsome. Um, I. I remember, you know, I didn't want him to have a girlfriend. I'm like, don't get involved with girlfriends and all of that. I said, focus on your career, focus on your education, you know, stay away from all of those things. And he, I think he, he did, well, I know he didn't agree. He, he felt like it was pretty normal to have a girlfriend. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it, it kind of started, just like you're saying, from a fear that I projected onto him from my life. And it's like we do that unconsciously, right? We do. We do that unconsciously. And that's why I, I'm so excited and I've had so many opportunities um, to be on different podcasts. And even I've been on the news a number of times talking about this idea of looking back to move forward this the way of parenting with our children rather than over them because quite frankly i feel like part of the behavior issues that we have from kids today in general there's a lot of contributing factors but part of it is that they are screaming at us to evolve the way we raise them because we have been in this kind of dominant parenting paradigm for generations and what happens is when we have that let's let's just let's just think about this a little bit here so i look at my parents and i know that they absolutely did the best they could with what they knew but they also didn't really hear who i was and i think nowadays it's very the kids are there's so much different now than when i grew up right they're um the sexuality, the gender issues, all of the things. And I think that their behavior in part is inviting us to walk alongside of them and evolve. Everything else in the world changes. Why wouldn't parenting change? But I do think this is not going to be something that happens overnight. However, many adults that I talk to can very much say that they didn't feel seen and heard as children. And that they now, as adults, as parents, when their kids don't listen to them, they immediately get triggered because in childhood they weren't heard, so they feel disrespected. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And it comes you grow right up back full and circle. it's like, listen, I'm the parent now. You have to listen to me. And when that doesn't happen, 
they get immediately triggered because they're supposed to be in that position at this point. Yeah, it's our turn. And I think that it doesn't make a parent at all weak to listen to where their child is coming from and to be somewhat vulnerable with their kids with their own feelings as long as they're not oversharing, but to have more of a open communication. So we, we definitely want our kids to come to us when they have problems, right? And there's a lot of problems in the world these kids are dealing with. So we want to have the report. This is true, which is why it is so important for parents to work on their own emotional well-being so that they are available and attuned to their kids. Kids will not come to us with their issues and challenges if we are demonstrating we are stressed, busy, on our phone. You can be in the same room. I mean, I've had parents say, well, I'm always in the room with her. Kids know when you're not really present to them. Absolutely. And and vice versa. And it's heartbreaking, right? You know, I remember uh, we'd be in the same room and, you know, I would want him to talk to me or to kind of, you know, because I was working 40 or 60 hours a week. And that's the case for most single parents. You know, they have to be providers, especially if they're custodial and they don't get child support, which is the case for a ton of folks. Uh, not everyone is in that boat, but if you're the custodial parent and uh, you're doing it alone, you're you're putting in some serious hours to take care of the income needs of your family. And then, you know, that precious quality time that you have, you know, you want your, your son or daughter to be present with you, too. And that's one of the things where Chris and I kind of got um, aware after the three years of healing and effort to to grow and to learn how uh, to communicate now that he was older um, was that we, we had to um, be present and uh, intentional to prioritize each other. And it was hard because we had gone through life with me working all of those hours. He was, you know, always at school or always, you know, doing homework or in activities and, and the dynamic of our, of our home was not one of, um, you know, having a lot of time together. And it, it really, it, I think you can have a quality relationship with your child if that's your reality, but at the same time, it's, it's tough and you, you, you have to be super present for it and it hurts on both sides of the fence is I guess what I was kind of coming back around to, I made him aware that, you know, yeah, there's things I probably did wrong and, and stuff. I said, but that works both ways. And that authenticity and my finally getting to the point of being transparent with him about how I felt and what was a dagger to me, you know, cause a parent wants to, pr- you know, protect that. They don't necessarily want to share it. Right. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, And I don't mean to laugh, but that's not funny. Um, But just to say that I think it's important for our kids to feel that they can share with us the way that they're feeling. And, And I often will say to parents, you know, why don't ask your kids once in a while, how can I be a better mom to you? How can I be a better dad to you? And, you know, of course, little kids will tend to give silly answers like, let me eat candy for breakfast. But if you ask often enough and maybe give them some thoughts and ideas on 
where you think that you could be better, that will that conversation will begin. And they'll begin to be able to advocate for themselves and come to you with their thoughts. And yes, you're right. We also need to remind or share with our kids where we sometimes are feeling like they're not present. Or um, I think what I do, just as an example, my youngest two are home this summer, uh, or my my one son is home from college, and then my daughter is home, of course. And they tend to want to talk at 11 o'clock at night. And I'm very tired at 11 o'clock at night because I get up early. However, I know how quickly this time goes. And so I make the effort to stay up and to sit in somebody's room and we sit and talk. And um, th- it, there's something about dim lights and 11 o'clock at night that my even my, my fourth son, who is so quiet, will actually open up and talk. So parents... Work to meet your kids where you can, where they're at, where they're willing to open up, whether it's a car ride or, you know, later in the evening. Um, I know that's difficult, but these years are going to go by very quick and you're going to have established a relationship with them if you can meet them where they're at sometimes. Absolutely. I have to meet mine where he's at right now, and he's in Hawaii, and I'm in Dallas. So <laughs> it's usually over text, and there's five hours time difference uh, between Hawaii and here. So it left, I have to be up at 11 or, or midnight for him to be off work and me to be able to hear his voice or get him to reply to a text. You know, he's 23 now, and, um, you know, it. man, you, you'll find me doing it. You'll find me doing it. It's um, and it's paid off, mm-hmm. paid off in spades as it relates to us having a better relationship, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm burning the midnight oil, girl. <laughs> I know. And well, I can, th- th- go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to jump in with a question, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish your thought first. Well, I was just going to say, I know it sounds counterintuitive to say, mom, dad, take good care of yourself. Spend some time on yourself. But it really is true. We cannot give what we don't have. And our kids need for us to be patient and emotionally regulated when they're, you know, uh, anxious or angry or upset. If we come at them with that same um, emotional level, that just ramps things up. That's not to say that won't ever happen. I'm just saying if you can take five minutes to yourself as a single parent every day, just go outside, take some deep breaths. It doesn't have to be a ton of time, but, you know, honor yourself in this position. Parenting is very difficult. Do what you can to invest in yourself and your emotional well-being again so those kids feel comfortable coming to you and that you can help them regulate their emotions. Yeah, oftentimes you can talk about, you know, well, here's what, what I do when I feel that way, you know, and this is what has worked for me. And these are the situations that maybe um, I was in as an example, when I needed to, you know, exercise uh, some kind of anxiety control or um, rest, you know. Well, and you mentioned before the word intentional, and I want to just come back to that and just say, like, be intentional with, some of the time that you have with your kids. Yes, some of the time they have to do their homework and you there's certain things that have to get done. But make time daily 
if you can, weekly to have those dinners, to have the, you know, and where everything else gets put away and you're just intentionally building the relationship with your kids. So Daryl, what were you going to ask? Well, I, I, and, and to, to your point, Kim, you know, as, as much as we've learned about self-care as a society, as single parents, it's really hard to prioritize yourself over everything else. So thank you for that message. I think, you know, from time to time, we all need to hear it. I want to go back to your, uh, your evolved philosophy of parenting with your adolescents and teens and young adults versus parenting over. Uh, and maybe this is just my inability to understand the concept, but can you share with me some examples of a traditional parenting style where you're parenting over your teenager uh, versus parenting with Yes. So um, it would be parents who put impose consequences, uh, you know, they're grounding. Kids are grounded. Kids are, the phone is taken away. I'm not saying that should never be done. I'm, I'm more saying we've got to, the older our kids get, work with them, right? We've got to um, the, the, if there needs to be a consequence, that's not a natural consequence because most of the choices and things that we make do have some natural consequence, right? We don't, as parents necessarily have to impose additional consequences sometimes, but not always, because what happens is when parents continuously hand down the consequences, what it does is allow a child to feel shame depending on how it's delivered right so it's about an approach to not be quite so um you're grounded for three months blah 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 you you know whatever that kind of that kind of tone it has to do with the tone of voice whether or not you need to impose additional consequences that aren't the natural consequences because generally when those consequences are handed down you continually are grounding your kid or taking the phone away. That's not usually what teaches the life lesson. All it does is help a child feel not great about themselves. It's you really it, you really want to come up alongside and say, how can we make this a win-win? Clearly you are having a difficult time getting off the phone when I'm asking. So and this just isn't going to fly. So let's work together to figure out how we can make it a win-win. Because it's non-negotiable that you have more than two hours on the phone, right? So come up with, parents come up with two or three non-negotiable rules, things that you will not bend on. And not 10 of these things, really two or three, okay? And then where you can in the rest of things, be flexible and work with your child so that they can grow their own autonomy and their individuality. Does I that, see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So, so what I'm what I'm thinking is what I feel, and this is just my opinion. We have many, many adults in the world today that cannot look within themselves because of the way they were raised, and because of the shame that often went shame and blame that often went along with making mistakes growing up that came from our parents. I'm suggesting that we again, work with our children rather than this, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Authoritarian? Yes. Well, yes, yes. Um, 
because again, I, I really feel like we have a lot of adults that just can't look within themselves because they were so often shamed as children. And we have to understand that kids are going to make mistakes. We are their way of learning how to emotionally regulate. That's very well understood now. We, we are the models under which they learn how to regulate their own emotions. So therefore, we have to take good care of ourselves in order to be able to model. And that's not to hold parents to some level of you've got to be perfect, you can't. Yeah, I'm just saying there are going to be days that go better than others, right? But the goal is to get to a place where you are emotionally regulated and and working on your stress level so that you can be available to your family. Well, I love what you said about, you know, getting with your teen and saying, how do we find a way? Because you're not, you're not changing the rules. You're not eliminating the rules. You're saying instead of you making, instead of you doing something wrong and me, you know, doling out punishment, what can we do together? Collective. It's more collaborative. Absolutely. Uh, it's a more collaborative form of parenting. And, and, so, so obviously every kid matures at their own pace and you can't say, okay, well you can, you know, this applies to kids 14 and above, you know, but what if my, what if my 12 or 13 year old is, is mature beyond her years? How, as a parent, how do I know when my tween, teen, adolescent, young adult, how do I know when they are, uh, emotionally mature enough that when I say, okay, how do we work together to find a way for you to do your chores every night when you're, whatever it is. Part of, uh, part of it is, you know? part of it is your intuition. We often are looking outside for the answer to all the experts. And yes, I'm a parent coach, but one of the things I really work hard with parents on is to eliminate the noise of the outside world and really tune in to their own unique kids. And that's about developing a relationship with their kids. And obviously during adolescence too, it's a kind of a like, it's it's a tightrope walk and it's like, um, you've got to try some things and see, and then don't get angry. If, if you've given your kid a privilege and they messed up or they made an unhealthy choice, obviously they weren't ready. You don't need to get angry about that or punish them or make them feel bad about themselves. Just say, okay, I, I don't think you were ready for this privilege. So we're going to re, you know, we're going to reel it in and we'll try again in three, four, six months, whatever. It's, a, it's, it's totally a learning process when you're parenting through those teen and young adult years. What's an example of a privilege that you could set up there? So, you know, does well, it make your bed? Is it, you know, what you, what you, I mean, there's so many different well, things. Well, I think a natural Privileges one would, and be, duties. would be like um, a kid gets a driver's license and you allow them to take the car out on a Friday night and they don't come home when they're supposed to come home. Okay, so part of the responsibility of driving is showing up when you're supposed to show up so your parents aren't worried about you. Right. Or or just showing that your responsibility and building that trust. So part of that may be, OK, we tried to give you, you know, you got the car for the first time on Friday night and you came home two hours late. That's not going to fly. So we need to readjust this. So maybe it's an earlier curfew for a couple weeks 
or whatever. I, I think, again, I think it has a lot more to do with how you talk about it than, than the actual, you know, than I'm, I'm not saying, what am I saying here? It, it, it's about the delivery of the message. Listen, we're working together on this and you, you know, weren't able to come home on time. Therefore, I've got to kind of pull back for a couple of weeks. And I know that you're going to be able to show me that you can do it. But right now we need to pull back. Okay. The burning question in me and every teenager across America that might be listening to this is, but everybody else's parents are letting me go. You're the only one. You're, you know, you're terrible. You, you know, you, you make me come home at 11 and everybody else gets to come home at, you know, whenever the party's over and you don't, you don't trust me. And a big mortal meltdown happens and war ensues and just, well, okay, here's the thing. And I hear that from my daughter. Uh, Honestly, I do Uh hear that from my daughter because we are the parents that um, I was raised on the whole, nothing good happens after midnight theory. Right. And I know this from my own youth. And that's not to say that I think she's going to make these choices, but we have to, we want our kids to be successful. So it's a very delicate balance of, um, you know, wanting to give them privileges, right? Understanding when they don't follow them or they, or if they push it, if they're pushing it, that's part of adolescence, but then holding them to what you had originally said I just, you don't have to yell, scream, ground, okay? And I do understand that, that you know, everybody else is, you know, gets to do this and I don't get to do it. And it's like, you know what, I'm, and I hate to say this because some, some kids would probably really hate hearing this, but I say to my daughter, I understand that, but I'm not Susie and Sammy's and whatever parent, I'm your parent. And I'm here to help you be as you know successful as you can at the age of 17 and also then if your kids are demonstrating that they are doing well like for years we didn't have sleepovers and my daughter really pushed back when she was a teenager and that was like the like the years I really didn't want her sleeping over but that was my fear and so what happens is we made a um I always talk to the parent the parent you know I'm very clear about what is okay and what's not okay. And I always, I mean, she's 17 years old and I will call even when she's 18 years old, I'm going to call and talk to the other parent, you know, Um, and just have that conversation so that parents are on the same page. I think what happens is as kids get older, parents don't talk with one another nearly as much. And they're not understanding that a lot of what goes on in their home is going on with other homes as well. And when parents can talk to each other, they don't feel quite so alone in the situation. So then that brings up another burning question. Are you ready? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so Did let's I say, the last let, one? well, I don't know. <laughs> so let's say, okay, she's going to have a go have a sleepover, right? And uh, you call the other parent. And the other parent has completely different values than you do, and they're not willing to cooperate. Then my daughter's not sleeping over. Um, the, what, does she get a bonus for cooperating with you for not going over? Or No, like- because I've built a relationship with her. I, I don't have, because of the kind, that and I'm not, it, my kids aren't like special in that, um, 
they they're perfect kids who don't ever you know push back on me but i haven't had a lot of pushback with them because of the kind of relationship that i've built with them they know that i will be that i give them choice and latitude in their lives in all you know other ways what what classes they take at school what extracurricular activities they have how they spend the money that they make at their jobs they have lots of latitude in their lives but there are certain things that again if i think are not appropriate or would set them up to potentially be tempted by things that could be harmful to them that i will say no on and i don't get a lot of, and, and i'm i'm not saying i know other kids sometimes really really backlash their parents but parents you have to be careful not to take the things your kids are saying and doing super personally this is a period of time that they are going to push you and if you can remain strong in what you intuitively know to be right and not coming from a place of fear then again when they're coming at you with your you know these names or whatever they're saying it's it's about knowing that that's their adolescence coming back at you and it's not you personally that's really key because it feels personal i know it feels personal mom <laughs> so daryl what do you think about it have you had to compare like that I, before I, I, i'm over here i'm over here learning all kinds of things and you know we talk about my fear and apprehension uh, of adolescence which my kids are six and eight i feel like it's bearing down on me uh but i i really like what you said about how do we work together to get you to you know do x y or z or don't do x y or z um you know i just uh i hope i'm able to implement it you know because like I said, it just seems so counterintuitive to the way we were, most of us were raised and the way most of us parent uh, with little kids, you know, getting up to that age. Yeah. It, and it's a progressive thing. It's not something that happens overnight as your girls, you know, six and eight and getting closer to 10 and whatever. There's just some, I think that you'll find that they will appreciate some latitude and some choice in their lives where you can give them that so that when you have to put in a rule that is important for their well-being, that you're not going to get as much pushback because you've built a relationship with them that allows them to feel like, okay, dad's putting this in place because it's really important. And then you, dad, have to be able to withstand when sometimes they are going to give you some flack, right? They're going to, I hate you, dad, or whatever, you know that kind of thing when they give when they're giving that be like look this is in your best interest and i have to feel comfortable in that so you feeling comfortable in the non-negotiables that you're putting in place is really important absolutely peer pressure is real it really is and um i think you know for me i would always try to create the sandbox like this is the sandbox you can play in and, you know, as you get more mature and show me you can handle everything in this sandbox, we'll move the borders out a little bit. Right. But then he would want to go into a completely different sandbox. Like I didn't even think about that sandbox over there. And so 
I would say, no, we, our family, we don't go into that sandbox. We stay in this sandbox and it completely, you know, ended up dividing us. Yeah, it's a hard thing. So I'll give you an example. Because of the walk I took with my son through his addiction to alcohol, we have two non-negotiables at our house. One is no underage drinking or drug use. And the second is you always tell the truth. Now, that the the question comes, right? What if your kid breaks the, the non-negotiable rule? I actually did a TikTok on this yesterday. Um, but okay, so let's, so actually I have had three sons, my, my, so two sons that did not drink until they were 21. And this doesn't come from a place of fear. This comes from ongoing conversations with them about the adolescent brain and how, when you drink at 18, 19, 20, you're, you're drinking with a different brain than you do. Not that 21 is a magic number, but you're much closer to brain maturity of 25 when you're 21 years of age. So explaining this to them, talking them through the why, they do know what it was like to experience their oldest brother walking through addiction and the difficulty that it fell in, you know, for me as a mom. So all of that does come into play. I haven't had, um, again, the issue, that's not to say I couldn't. If my daughter, you know, came home next weekend and she came in drunk, Let's just set aside she didn't drive. Let's just say she like came home drunk. First of all, I'm not going to discuss it with her while she's under the influence because that's not going to go anywhere, right? The next day, let's say she has to go to work. Well, she's going to go to work. Like, you know, part of the, you know, it's like you need to, you still need to show up even if you're not feeling 100%. And then I'm going to get curious. I'm going to get curious because I know that that is the one family rule, right? Or we have two family rules and she's broken that one. So instead of getting angry at her, which isn't productive, I'm going to get curious. What Knowing that we have this, this rule in place and knowing behind it, because we've had open conversations about it on a regular basis, I'm curious as to what drove you to drink and, you know, get drunk. And then I'm going to, I'm going to have the conversations with her. I don't, believe that not having the conversation and just putting into place you're grounded for you know the for the next three weekends you're grounded is going to be helpful i need to figure out what led her to that so we can talk it through yeah i can i can see um that would be hard for any parent because you know immediately you go into well who are you with well you're not going to hang out with that kid anymore and um and where were those parents and well, I try to, I'm very, because of what I've walked through with my oldest son, I've really learned not to jump to what's wrong with those parents because I've been the parent who's That's... had, who's walked that walk with my child. And it's not always about the, our kids are influenced. I'm not saying, I, I acknowledge where I contributed to my son's drinking and I, and I did, but I'm not going to take on that full responsibility because there's an awful lot of influence outside of how we're parenting our kids. So yes, their friends contribute, culture contributes. There's a lot of other factors. So I'm like careful not to be like the one that, that says, where were the parents? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. I did that for you. <laughs> I'm just being transparent, you know, um, hindsight's always 2020. And, um, 
I think there's, you know, one thing I would always say is, you know, we always need to be learning and always be willing to be humble ourselves and uh, go, okay, you know, I, I need to grow also. I love the title of your book. Tell us a little bit about your book. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to. So it's Becoming Me While Raising You, A Mother's Journey to Herself. And what it is, is the six unconscious limiting beliefs that I took on in childhood that played out over and over again in my marriage and in my parenting until I asked myself these four questions a couple years ago. And those questions are, what do I believe about myself? Where did that come from? Is it true? And if it's not true, what is true? And one of the unconscious limiting beliefs that I took on as a child was that I wasn't worthy of being heard. And it, I asked myself, where did that come from? Where did I first feel like I wasn't heard? And in the book, there is a story about a summer night and an incident that happened between my dad and I. And that is really where I first remember feeling like what I had to say didn't matter. And then I asked myself, is it true? Is it true that what I have to say doesn't matter? And the answer to that, of, of course, is no. So every time I show up, for a podcast or on the news or doing a video on TikTok tells me and, and I share my truth. It inspires other people to do the same and reaffirms my new belief that I am worthy of being heard. What were your other six or other five limiting beliefs? Um, I can't trust myself. I don't make good choices. Money is hard to come by. <laughs> now you're putting me on the spot. Um, a big, another big one really was I can't trust myself. They're fairly, I, I didn't write it, like I didn't come up with the six with, but I think they're fairly universal is what I'm saying. I think they're, I think the stories for other people might be different, but I think people will be able to identify I'm not enough. You know, I used my story of my life very well to illustrate how in the most mundane moments of parent-child relationships, we can take on things about ourselves that play out over and over again, unless we're willing to look at them and, if needed, shift those beliefs about ourselves. So if you were to talk to a single mom or a single dad about their limiting beliefs, um, what would you say to them? You got, you know, three minutes got their ears. Well, I think those four questions that I ask, right? I mean, people really, and, and I didn't just sit down one day and go, oh, what do I believe about myself? This took some time and some thought. So the question that mom and dad, you can ask yourself is, what do I believe about myself? And really, really examine that. And how is that playing out in my parenting? If I don't feel worthy of being heard, how is that playing out? Are you constantly disrespected by your kids? Do they not listen to you? And that's something that you need to work on for yourself rather than projecting it onto your kids. Right. And, and, and making them feel like they don't have the right to be heard. Right. That's so, so it starts with respecting yourself more, right? Listening to yourself, listening, getting reconnected with yourself. I think there's there's so it's so easy as a parent these days to become disconnected from your own self 
And that's where the tension and the fear and the disconnection comes when we're trying to parent. So that's why I say parents, it's really important that you take some time every day to get quiet, to go outside, to take some deep breaths. If that happens two minutes before you wake up, wake up two minutes earlier in the morning, just center yourself so that you're, again, paying attention to your emotional well-being instead of just constantly going through the motions. Yeah, that, I call that reflection. I was actually talking about it earlier today with one of our, our local mayors. He's a wonderful guy. And um, we were talking about, you know, going through tough stuff in life, right? You know, and there's been, you know, things like school shootings that are affecting, um, you know, how people run cities. And um, there was a, um, a thing we were talking about, about, you know, as leaders, and if you're a parent, you're a leader, needing to reflect, you know, re reflecting on yourself, on your situations, your kids' situations, and not just like reflecting in a way of panic or anxiety or turning things in on yourself where you're criticizing yourself or your environment, but really giving a floor and a place for how do I ob observe this? And then how, how do I feel like I am navigating things and what are my choices and, 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 and how is that creating a better place for myself, my kids and the community around me? Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, that reflection is hard. It's hard to slow down. Uh, it's hard to put yourself in a parking space daily for that, but, Maybe sometimes you build in, you know, reflecting on the month that has just passed mm -hmm. and, you know, what could I have done better or what would I like to have done differently? Um, where do I feel like um, things should have been done better for me by the people around me? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Uh, and, and, and being a parent to your own self sometimes. Absolutely. Like, how would you, you know, you said it earlier, you know, when I was a child, how would I have liked to have been treated? Well, now as grownups, we, we have that opportunity to be parenting ourselves and being that person to ourselves um, that we would have liked to have had when we were younger. And then once we process that, we can in turn be a better friend, be a better citizen and be a better uh, parent to our our young adult kids yeah. you know I want to invite parents to also think about their growing up years and some of the tough things that they've gone through and how that helps us build character right so we often want to rush in and fix things for our kids or have them not make choices that are going to have consequences we want to protect them but it's in the moments of time that are challenging for us and the difficult things that we go through that we build the resilience and the grit, right? We, I mean, I'm sure my parents, I mean, no, my parents didn't want me to have a baby at 18. They had no idea what was going to happen, but that gave my life purpose that, you know, not only once, I mean, when I think about my son coming into my world at 18 was most definitely something that was very difficult to go through going through addiction with him when he was 20 years old was incredibly difficult to go through. 
but both of those examples have given my life purpose. And so sometimes, parents, you have to be able to step back as much as you don't want your kids to go through something to understand that you don't know exactly why they're here and what they might have to go through in order to become who they're meant to become. Well, and not being afraid of that, you know, um, not being afraid of that for sure. I know um, there's a a thing that uh, we do a lot of times as as parents, and that is, um, you know, to mother hen, right? We mother hen, and um, you know, just trying to talk about what's behind. Like, okay, let's say this tough thing is, um, you know, teen pregnancy or you know, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. Maybe it's uh, you know, not applying yourself in school, right? Maybe it's something that's not as heavy, but, you know, at some point, if that, you know, is important to you as a parent, it's important to you for a reason. And sometimes we just take the shortcut and we communicate the characteristic that we're going for, but we're afraid to talk to our kids about why that characteristic is important, you know, like for me, I, I talked about it earlier. I was scared for my son to date, right? And I was equally scared about telling him why I was scared for him to date, right? I didn't want him to think less of me. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I didn't want, you know, all of these things. I, I want. I just wanted magically for my hindsight to be his twenty twenty, right? Uh, but when we when we do that, we don't we don't tell them why. We're not trusting them, really. We're, we're just saying, trust me, take me on my word. You don't want to do this, right? And and so we, we didn't find a balance together based on my hindsight. We just ended up in a, in a cement box diametrically opposed, and it backfired. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It sounds like you're doing much better communicating these days. And again, I bet there's a lot of good lessons that you learned from what you went through with him, right? And and that wisdom can be shared with other parents as well. Oh, absolutely. Which is what, again, I hope to inspire as, you know, the challenges that I've had and continue to have. I mean, five kids are, there's there's something always, you know, going on. But to be able to learn from it, to be someone who's a lifelong learner and to, again, I think open communication with our kids is the most important thing that we can have with them rather than shutting it down by saying, I'm the parent or, you know, this is the way it's going to be. Working with them is going to get you much further than trying to come down hard on them. Yeah. And, and you know, sharing life's messes. I mean, Daryl talked about it earlier, you know. It just uh, was a, you know, a big eye-opening thing, and it's it's not uh, cultural. It's it's a little bit opposed to the way a parenting culture has been, wouldn't you say? Yes, a little I, bit. I, it's my biggest mountain is helping parents see their role differently. It's just as important, but it's a shifting of the way we look at it, what it means to be mom and dad, and how we can work with our kids to raise them rather than, you know, having this tension and this, you know, this laying down of the law. Yeah. It's just, it just doesn't, 
it just doesn't go well. I mean, your kids might be compliant, you know, and, and there's going to get a point, though, that even if they, if, let's say they're in compliant their whole lives, they do what you want, they always follow the rules, chances are you're probably not, you're going to have some resentment that's built up and who knows what kind of relationship you're going to have with your adult children at that point. This is a long game and we don't want the challenges of adolescence to negate a good long-term adult relationship with our kids, which is why when we parent with them, it works so much better. I believe that we are the manual on which our grandchildren will be raised. So be very careful with the book that you're writing for them. Well said. Thank you, Kim. Well, Daryl, any questions left? No, I just want to make sure folks are aware of your website, Kim, reallifeparentingguide.com. You've got a lot of resources and services available there. You're also on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Yes, yes, absolutely. And my book is available on Amazon, um, Becoming Me While Raising You. Well, I'll tell you what, I heard that uh, you you had a huge following on TikTok. I didn't know that when I met you. Uh, but uh, definitely tune in to, to Kim on TikTok. Which TikTok channel? It is Kim Minch Parent Coach. Awesome. So I'll put that in the in the caption for the podcast. And I want to thank you for joining us. And, uh, you know, it really is meaningful what you're doing. If we can count my hindsight as any input. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully my hindsight can be your foresight, Daryl. Uh, it usually is. <laughs> <laughs> thank well, you, guys. I appreciate being here. Um, well, thank you. I, Kim, your philosophy on parenting with your teenager as opposed to parent, parent, parenting over them, uh, I thank you for that. That was really uh, educational for me. And, you know, I'm thinking of Elise when, I, when we're talking about that. I feel like she and I have a pretty good relationship. And as she gets older, we're going to transition to that. Excellent. I'd love to hear it. Well, I hope this is a seed of love and hope and, and solutions for many, many folks out there. You know, we can't control the parenting that we had, but we can control growing and learning and becoming the best parent we can be. And, and, and that's ever changing with the world around us, uh, with the world our kids are in around us. And um, I just love this message and I thank you and we'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks, everyone.